a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Middle Earth Musings, the podcast where we discuss everything under the sun, moon, and stars related to J.R.R. Tolkien and his enormous impact. I'm your host, Larry D. Curtis, and my voice is one of many you will hear from around the globe as we delve deep into the works of the Oxford professor and their influences on so many things, including pop culture, art, academia, music, games, fandom, film, online communities, and now television, and so much more. So whether you're a studied Tolkienite or someone who has recently discovered the professor's works, I say to you, join us. Welcome to Middle Earth Musings. On today's show, we will have a wrap-up review of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power with guest panelists, which is pretty exciting. So I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Bob, why don't you go first? Hi, I'm Bob Defendi. I'm a uh, writer and a game designer. Um, my uh, Mostly I write um, uh, comedies. Uh, my series is uh, Death by Cliché. It's about a game designer who gets shot in the head by a loony fan, ends up in the worst game of all time. Obviously, it's autobiographical. I've been into uh, Tolkien, really into Tolkien since college. I first wrote in elementary school, but I didn't get it then. Um, I've been pretty into it since college and um, read the Silmarillion five or six times at this point, and I'm on all the Tolkien panels at all the cons. And um, I am confident Tolkien. we're going to talk more about those things for sure. Yeah. Paul, tell us about you. Hello. Thanks for having me, Larry. This is Paul Janess. I am uh, the author of the Iron Dragon series, which uh, features dwarves because I'm a long, uh, long time Tolkien fan. When I was four, my mom made me a T-shirt that said Lil Bilbo. and It was yellow and it had green felt letters. I was pretty much in Middle Earth, like from then on, thought I was a hobbit pretty much. You still have that shirt. I have a Polaroid. Nice. Photo of me in the shirt. Nice. Thank you for being here today. So we're in studio with these guests. We don't always have that privilege, but today we do, uh, which is pretty fun. Um, let's actually start. I want to go in depth. To, we're going to really dig into the show, I promise. And these are the right guys to do it with. But, Paul, we'll start with you again. T t literally, how old were you when you got that shirt? And what was your first impression and experience with Tolkien? That's, by the way, guests, this is, this is a big part of the show, like talking about why Tolkien matters to us and how it started. I was, I was four and a half, I believe. And my mom and her boyfriend at the time uh, were both into Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings, and they would talk about it. So I'm interrupting you already. It, so this must be family lore because yeah. you, you don't remember being four and a half probably. I remember them talking about Lord of the Rings wow. and The Hobbit. And I remember watching The Hobbit cartoon. Uh, I, think I, was, I think it was 1977, 78. When it, right, it was on TV. So right in there when it first came out on TV. And I was terrified. When the orcs were chasing the dwarves and Bilbo out of the mountain, and I hid under the couch cushions. I've just loved the idea of Middle Earth since the cartoon came out, because that was my access point as a little kid. And then in, in fourth grade, I read The Hobbit back to back to back three times in a row. And then I started just learning more about it. And then when I hit sixth grade, I read the trilogy, Lord of the Rings, and then started to read The Silmarillion, couldn't really do much with it when I was that little. 
And then now I've read the Silmarillion like a bunch of times, like, you know, probably, well, probably like 12 times, really. I don't really know. Cause like sometimes I just read pieces of it. I don't read all of it. So from an early age, obviously this was really important to you. My inspiration, my refuge, my solace, my favorite world ever. I just loved it so much. I read all the ancillary stuff you could get, the the Middle Earth Encyclopedia. Like now as an adult, I've become more scholarly and reading more of the scholarly books like Tom Shippey's book, author of the century about J.R.R. Tolkien. And I'm Bob and I are just Tolkien nerds. And like we're always on all the Tolkien panels about the books, the movies, whatever. And we could just talk about Tolkien for hours. Well, we might end up doing that. But why? Why Tolkien? Why did that? Why did it resonate with you so much at an early age? Because clear, like you, that's not the first thing you were exposed to. And obviously you had this exposure from, you know, adults that you looked up to. But um, why did Tolkien resonate? Do you think so much? Because, your four-year-old mind. Because I was this tiny little kid and I felt like I was a hobbit and um, I was so small. You know, I'm like five foot five now, but I was a lot shorter then. And uh, I don't know. I just I just loved hobbits and I loved fantasy and I loved the idea of, of Middle Earth. And escaping into a fantasy world was a coping mechanism for me. And it still is. When I'm having a rough day, I can pick up whatever book or look at whatever map or whatever, and I'm there, you know, I'm into it. And I can just focus on this cool history and gleaning little nuggets of knowledge that maybe I didn't realize before. So I just I just love Middle Earth. I, I, I love the world and history that he created. And I'm just a lifelong fan. It's I can safely say this has been a big influence in your life, which we'll probably get to in the course of things. So, Bob, what about you? You mentioned college was your first entrance into Tolkien? Kind of like, okay, so I was into D&D really heavily when I was a kid and my mother and her boyfriend went on a vacation and they uh, kind of hired two house sitters to babysit me, babysit the house and like strip it so they could and repaint it basically. And they were college students and they were like, oh, you like D&D? You have to read Tolkien. Hmm. And so um, they introduced me to it. I tried to reach it. I read it. I liked The Hobbit fine, but I bounced off The Lord of the Rings. I could not penetrate the text. Interesting. And I blame my mother. My, <laughs> this is why. My mother hated British humor. She did not like British sitcoms. And so um, I was I had no exposure to them. I was never like – PBS British Britcoms were never on our television. So the – a voice was just impenetrable to me. And then um, uh, I went later I got into my game group in high school and they were huge Tolkien nerds. And uh, so my second real role-playing game was Middle Earth role-playing with Rollmaster, uh, which is the first game company that actually hired me, actually. Um, so uh, I played a lot of Middle Earth, a lot of role-playing in Middle Earth. And uh, finally, I'm like, I just got to read Lord of the Rings again. I just got to read it again. So I reread The Hobbit. I reread The Lord of the Rings and I found out that Gandalf is funny. <laughs> Gandalf is basically like that comedian Jonathan Carr without the swearing, right? He is funny. And I just couldn't – I just didn't have the the tone to understand it when I was in sixth grade. I, you know, I didn't know what flighting was. I didn't understand like that whole British thing of just insult, of insult comedy with your best friend that – 
you know, the Tolkien professor calls hobbitry when the hobbits just insult each other to, to show that they love each other. Um, and uh, Gandalf is just so funny. And I just I just devoured it. And from that point on, I became like a rabbit Tolkien fan. Uh, how old were you when that sort of house You know, my features? 20s. Okay. Or in the late nineteen twenty, early twenty one, something like that. And so, what, like Paul, you just mentioned that the, there was a cartoon at the time. Well, do you remember any contemporary outside? Oh, uh, well, of the I, books? I mean, I watched the Bakshi movie a hundred times, hmm. <laughs> so I, I I was familiar with the stuff. I watched the Hobbit cartoon. I watched the Bakshi movie a lot. It was on HBO, and we had HBO. You know, so wow, you were rich. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that Bakshi movie. I'm. You, you were both old enough to remember like Blockbuster's heyday and mm. you go to the rental store yep. and not just Blockbuster, but lots of whatever. Mm. And so I saw the Bakshi movie as a kid and loved, like loved it. Um, but I was always at the video store wondering why none of them carried part two. Like I, yeah. I in my brain literally believed there must be a the ending and right. I couldn't find it anywhere. And the Return of the King. Well, there's a whip. Yeah, there's well, a way. <laughs> I've got that on vinyl and like the greatest adventure song from the, the Bakshi movie. I We play that song when we're on a long, right as we're leaving the house, going on a long trip and we sing it. It's great. It's great. <laughs> it's great. There's a band called World Without Sundays. In fact, I just realized we should have them on this podcast. They did a cover of Where There's a Whip, There's a Way. And it's really good. I've sang that song. I've sang that song on a panel at Fanex with Aaron Yeager. We nice. sang "Where There's a Whip, There's a Way." Like, like the whole thing. Or we did. We did. No, not the whole thing. It was a. It was a good bit. And the audience looked sufficiently horrified, so we stopped. Yeah. It's it's as cartoon show tunes go. It's pretty yeah. good. It was good. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm, feel free, by the way, to sprinkle in more of your love of Tolkien as we converse. Well, here. And then I read the Silmarillion, oh, and please. I just got to say, I just got to say, Chris Tolkien, I love him as a um, scholar. Yes. But when it comes to spoilers, he's a son of a <laughs> Can I say I, that in this podcast? I, I mean, I think we're deep enough in that this supervisor, no, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what our what our I don't know what the, I don't know weird. either. Probably it's a family audience, probably. So uh, I'll, 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 I'll be careful. We uh, could beep. I could beep you if it okay, came okay, to okay. it. But that's okay. a fine uh, phrase. I'll, I'll be careful. Um, <laughs> I would. I would. Every time I come to a character, I didn't recognize their names. I would go to you know like the index, index appendix where it would tell you who characters were, and it would be like so and so who died at the gates of. <laughs> Well, at the battle that I'm reading, that's where he dies. He dies at the battle I'm reading. Chris Tolkien, you utter bad guy, tard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you big turd. You're like I just, I just hate you. That's funny. I, I actually thought J.R.R. was the appendix guy, so I it might be Dad. You're mad at no, no, because uh, the whole Silmarillion was compiled oh, by the, oh, Chris oh. after his dad's death. I'm thinking Lord of the Rings. Pen. Yeah, I got yeah, you now. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's great when you're reading the second time as a scholarly reference. But the first time, it's it's spoilerific. <laughs> you know, it is like that. That sidebars my brain. And like, so you know, the professor dies, right? Mm -hmm. And the Silmarillion is not published. And there's plenty of references in the Lord of the Rings to characters that don't that no one people like the Earth doesn't know who this is, except maybe his personal friends, right? And then so he dies, and Christopher gets the Silmarillion published, which is quite a feat, actually, I think, mm -hmm. if we went back in time to the 1970s. I think that was quite a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And then there's this whole new world of things available. And sometime in that century, we were all born and found Tolkien in our own way. It probably wasn't imaginable, at, at least then, at least in the 20th century and part of this early century, that there would be a opportunity to peer into a television series about Tolkien's second age. Like it I just think oh, that's no. unimaginable. Unimaginable. Especially with his hatred of Disney. Yes. Right. I, I mean, I know Disney's not involved in this, but he hated We're, Disney so much it really put a cut uh, you know, uh, 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 a cooling on any other rights being sold. Yeah. Well, for sure. And it, I mean, oh, I'm afraid this will be a theme in all of these podcasts, but the rights are still carefully controlled, right? Yeah. Like they sold the rights to the Lord of the Rings. They have not sold the rights to the Silmarillion. Uh, and so what we're seeing is through that, the appendix, appendices still, even though, you know, we go far afield. But that's the, the Tolkien estate, even without Christopher, is still being very careful about what's allowed out. It just seems unimaginable that some guys would sit in a booth in 2022 and talk about Tolkien's second age television series. It just strikes me as so impossible in my blockbuster day is searching for the unmade backsheet sequel that it, it blows my mind at the moment. And, you know, yet, if we're going to start somewhere, like other than the original trilogy, this yeah. is the place. Because his entire, like, legendarium started with uh, the fall of Numenor, with him, like, reimagining the fall of Atlantis as a, as a, as a, as a legend for his, you know, fantasy, you know, corpus. That's absolutely right, and this this is the this is the right place to start the show is the second age because the first age the Silmarillion covers that it's pretty much unfilmable. I mean, someday they're probably going to sell it, and we'll get like twenty eight seasons of the Silmarillion. I would hope, but really, the second age is the right place to start. If you want to talk about amazing, Larry, Professor J R R Tolkien could not get the Silmarillion published in his lifetime. Right. The publishers told him that it was terrible and they would not publish it. I'm letting that sink in, okay? They would not publish the Silmarillion. I mean, the the movies and everything jump-started the, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but it had sold a lot of copies. The Hobbit had sold a lot of copies. And, and it's just, it's mind-blowing to me that they said no to him. I get why. As a, as a writer, yeah, I see the Silmarillion. It's it's so hard. It's so difficult. And what he gave them was not what we saw. I mean, that's a good he, important point. They weren't exactly wrong. Like <laughs> I don't think they were wrong. I don't think they were wrong at all. It needed, you know, Christopher, his dear son, you know, needed to punch it up. He needed to fill some things out. He needed to finish it. Tolkien, in the last months of his life, was still trying to figure out Galadriel. At a recent convention that Bob and I attended and Larry attended, we were on a panel together, I did a presentation on the Lady Galadriel, a one-man show, and I researched everything, and I read everything, and I, I read all this literary analysis and on and on and on. He was changing Galadriel in the last month of his life before mm. he died in 1973. I'll, I'll say another thing that I think, because I, I agree that the point that what J.R. sent them is not what was published, and it did need Christopher Tolkien, but here's the other thing it needed. It needed time for his works to kind of change the world, right? Because <laughs> the world dramatically changed, and I actually agree with the publishers. I don't think it was publishable, publishable but now we're talking about it not being filmable, which is right. a whole – I mean, that's a big jump too. But uh, 
Christopher did some great work, right, to edit right. and to get it presentable. And then things have changed since then. Well, if you read the second uh, – the the history of Middle Earth, it's – I can't remember which book it is. It's around the second or third book is what he was starting to submit to publishers in the history of Middle Earth because the history of Middle Earth is all of his drafts he went through. Yeah, you know. the 12 – there's 12 volumes. Right, right. It's a, I, I can't remember which Not volume either. is a, right about the point where he starts submitting. But it's early, like when he started trying to get – Publishers to accept it. So it's not what we saw. And like what he wanted to publish is not what was published either. So there's a, I was having a, a conversation with somebody last night about like haters on the internet and, you know, the, all the negative reviews. She goes, I haven't seen a single negative review that came from somebody who wasn't, didn't go in wanting to hate it or angry about like the changes or something. Like, like I haven't seen a single negative review for somebody who came to a clean. And um, she, I, she says, I'll see all these reviews that are like, don't change one thing. I'm like, I could name one thing that they didn't change right off. Either the world is round or it's flat <laughs> because Tolkien's like wrote one and then changed it to the other. It's either round or it's flat. Both are correct. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because, because Tolkien changed his mind. One got printed in the Silmarillion. One is what Tolkien really wanted at the end. I like the one in the Silmarillion better, but like if you change it to what Tolkien wanted in his heart, I can't hate you for that, you know. Um, we need, all right, so let's get into the show. We're gonna. This could be the, the ten hour podcast. I'm afraid. Oh the, yeah, it could the episode. Uh, let's just jump in, and either of you can go first. But you know, you just said the kind of the magical thing, the thing that someone who tunes in wants to hear. Did you like it, or did you not like it? I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, so, either one of you, what did you think of the show? Big picture. Uh, big picture, I... It was way better than I feared. I, I, Yes, I liked it. I liked it. I definitely liked it. It was way better than I feared. Um, there are some episodes I like better than others. I hated half of two, of episode two, until episode eight. When we were at FanX, I said to you guys, I don't want Halbrand to be Sauron. But if he is, it fixes all of my problems in episode two. Mm. And uh, he was Sauron. So episode two, forgiven. <laughs> all of my problems with episode two just go away if the guy on the raft is Sauron, right? Yeah. Um, so now my, my, my whipping boy is episode six. Um, <laughs> no, the first two thirds of episode six are the most poorly written in the series. And then the last uh, third is pretty awesome. <laughs> so now, now, now episode six is the episode I love and hate at the same time. Um, but uh, – and episode eight, I really enjoy – I've been the person out of everybody I know who's been defending the time compression the hardest, and the time compression was too much even for me in episode eight. But 
I can't like, okay, I was having this conversation last night. Uh, have you guys seen Game of Thrones? Yes. Okay. Are you aware of the Bran problem? You mean the time travel problem? No. Bran, well, the fact that Bran is like 13 or something in the last episode, but he's being played by like a 21-year-old oh, actor. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am I am sure that like every decision they make about time compression, the Bran problem is super high in their mind because they've got Theo in the cast. And so they're um, like terrified of like what – Certain actors aging is going to do to their timeline. And so the, the that is like they can't just, you know, say, all right, and this episode takes five years without having to recast everybody like they just did in House of Dragons and everybody hated. Right. Mm, I did. I didn't. But uh, but point is fair. Point, right, right. Fair point. Right. Um, we we would get into these long conversations with people where, I, where like one of my friends was like, yeah, sure. I would prefer that every season was a different human cast. Because we were jumping like, you know, 100 years a season. But one of them is going to be a dud and kill the series. I just statistically, one of them is not going to land with the audience. Um, so I understand they can't do it. They can't do it. They have to compress. But it, that said, it was too much for me. <laughs> I still love it. I still love it. I still love the series. But that was the, that was the, that was the slightly, the, and they even joke about it. Where they they have the line we have three three weeks left to to uh, do what should have taken us three hundred years we should have three hundred years yeah they even make that joke yeah <laughs> I mean that last episode I don't know if you put it together that episode takes like three and a half months to pass um, yeah it's it's a long I mean a lot of time passes in that last episode it takes those Numenorean ships those Numenorean ships travel two thousand miles the uh, hobbits uh, walk a thousand miles in that episode yeah yeah it, a lot of <laughs> A lot of time passes in that last episode. <laughs> Paul, big big picture. Big picture. I mean, I I think I can just I can agree with what with what Bob said. Um, ha- having having understood now that Halbrand is Sauron, it makes it makes a lot more sense. You know, it it really does make a lot more sense. One thing that that bugged me was the time compression on the final episode. But what I what I like to do, because I'm I'm a writer, I write fantasy novels, I write epic fantasy, I write these these stories where we have characters who interact with each other and there's villains and you know, there's a modern way of writing a novel. Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit are not modern ways of writing a novel. They are summaries of a novel. Sometimes they go deep, sometimes Tolkien goes deep, it's rare. He's writing giant time frames. There might just be uh, a list of signpost events, and that's it's like a it's like an outline of a potential novel. Lord of the Rings itself, it's a summary most of the time. The Hobbit, even worse. So, so what I what I see is I'm sitting in a writer's room. I'm imagining I'm with Patrick McKay and J.D. Payne and whoever else is writing these episodes, and they're sitting there thinking. Can we film what Tolkien wrote? Hmm. And they're like, my God, we don't even know who Sauron is. He never interacts with anybody. There's never any dialogue. We don't, we have, we have like a couple of moments where maybe we have his dialogue and we have one moment and it's in the Silmarillion. And it's when he had, when Sauron faces off against Galadriel's brother, Finrod, and there's dialogue. They don't have the rights to that. 
I don't know of any other dialogue where it's actually Sauron, aside from him having a couple of things in the appendices where he says a couple things to the Numenorians. Who the hell is Sauron? So the writers are sitting there going, how do I write a modern take on this that audiences are going to enjoy? Well, the villain has to be with the good guys and they have to have some kind of interaction. So they're like, well, what the hell are we going to do? And how can we set it up so that it actually works? So they made some bold decisions. And Larry at Fanex, you were mad about the raft. And I totally get that. And I hope you'll talk about your feelings on that. Now, I'm looking at it through a new prism. Right after episode eight came out, uh, I don't remember the article, but an article dropped with an interview with J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. And at the end of the article, it says, we hope that you'll like season two better. We think season two is better. And now that you can rewatch season one, and this is like a, almost a direct quote, we hope you can see it through a different prism. I sure did. Yeah, yeah. And then season two, they're going to show, hopefully, Sauron being a big bad guy and setting up a bunch of stuff, which we've got to get into the details on that because I didn't like the what I saw in the last episode totally. I enjoyed it overall. I liked the show. I'm super into it. I'm a big fan. But like, I wanted to see Sauron planting the seed to make the rings. I wanted to see him screwing with them with this apocryphal story about right. Mithril and you've got to do this. Like I wanted to see all that. So if they if they don't do that in season two, I'm still miffed. Is the show Tolkien? Yes, the show is Tolkien. Did they take some extreme liberties? Yes. Why did they make extreme li- why did they take extreme liberties? Because they had to. They had to to get everybody else in, Bob and myself and you, Larry, we're pretty big fans. Some of us more scholarly or into the nerdy stuff than others. But there's just this wild amount of people who are watching this show. They can't film a 3,400-year se- sequence. <laughs> they cannot film that. It's impossible. We just have to hear Galadriel say, and we searched for them for centuries. That's all we can get. So, hey, I'm going to quibble with a bunch of stuff in the show, and we're going to do that on this podcast. But overall, I like it. And what I want to point out to everyone is that we need to have a little bit more open minds. And the art is not done. We got season one of seven, right? Seven? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. I thought it was five. No, it's five. It's, it's five. Excuse me. Five. It okay. is five. My bad. My bad. My no, bad. It's I was five. like breaking news. No, no. My apologies. So we're like, what are we? We're we're eight episodes in and there's going to be 50? I'm, yeah. If you if you yeah. hate Galadriel's angry Galadriel, remember, that's 12 to 13% of her character because, you know, she changes in episode six or whatever. I would have toned her down. A little bit. I would have made her just a little bit more likable in season one just to just to prevent the hate. Right. Right. I actually feel pretty bad for that actress because she, unfairly, in my opinion, she's on the receiving end of some of the venom of fandom. Uh, and look, she was given what she was given. Like, mm-hmm. like, oh, you don't like how she's acting? But that's the character she was handed for season one. So I don't know. Maybe give her a, a little grace and let's see what yeah. happens next because – there is going to be more and different Galadriel. Um, you know, w- let's talk about the rings for a minute. Uh, I, I get why. I, I want to yep. comment on something you said real quick, though. Um, I just like to prep for this. I did about 16 hours of prep for this podcast, <laughs> which included rewatching 
Like doing all the prep that I hadn't done the last two episodes uh, that I usually like space out over two, three weeks and then, and then rewatching the whole thing all the way through. And um, two things. One, they do a r- real good job with Siren, I thought. Um, every dis- Every move he makes is either – spot on or super manipulative. Like at one time my mother walked through the room because she had watched it with me. She goes, why is he doing that? I'm like, oh, he's manipulating the sh- the crap out of her. You know, he's just manipulating her like nobody's business. You know, there's no way he was going to stab Adar in that scene. He just wants right. Galadriel to stop him, right? Um, you know, and he stops Galadriel from killing Adar so that she owes him. Right. You know, because if Galadriel kills Adar, she can't she's banned from uh, elven society like she like she goes on a road so dark that she's not going to feel good about going back to Linden at that point. And he she loses her usefulness to him. Right. He's just playing these levels the whole time. And um, the uh, there's a thing. There's a cardinal sin I have in every show like this where they're running a con. You see that they screwed up in The Sting, and The Sting is like the definitive con movie. And it's where the person who's running the con or the person who's pretending to be something they aren't is alone in the room. The only person is the camera and the audience, and they're still lying to you so that the audience is still fooled, right? They should be letting down the guard. There's no reason for them to still act mad because everything just went their way, but they still act mad so that the audience doesn't get in on it, right? Yes, and this show brilliantly gets around this because there are two times in this show where people think they're not being listened to and elves overhear them anyway. And so they establish in the show very subtly that everybody has to pretend like they are being observed at all times because they have to treat every room like it's bugged because of elves. Um, because, because, because elves have got great senses and you just have to always assume an elf knows what you're doing and just never drop character. That's a really smart observation, Bob. And I bet over about the head of most everyone who watches, but I I bet it is, I bet it is, but it's, it's the type of thing that I think they're thinking of almost every time I've noticed that these guys get really off the rails and do something terrible. It's because they love Tolkien too much. Mm. Like all of their worst decisions that bug me the most are because they like pulled text right out of Tolkien and jammed it into a place where it did not belong. And um, I'd be like, oh, God, you can't you can't have said that line to a child. That would not have calmed a child in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't even dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I go on with the questions. Yeah, so, well, so, uh, I mean, this is actually good discussion because i because i think the overall view is is what we're going for here and we could break down each of these episodes probably we the three of us could break down these episodes in minutia uh and we probably need to avoid that since we're in the big wrap-up show but Mm -hmm. but i did want to talk paul something you said about the rings specifically uh to me and, and i don't know if this is what either of you meant by you know time but i felt like suddenly we went from like well, first of all, they were like, gosh, I think we'll make some crowns. No, some other circular thing. Like, hmm, what could we possibly make this circular? Like toilet bowl seats? No. Uh, <laughs> collars? No. And then finally, like, I know, rings. Like, it was 
that that conversation, I laughed out loud, and I liked the last episode more than most, more than I like most episodes. But I was like, ah, like somebody just say rings. I found that to be silly. Here's, but I on, want, on that on that yeah. point on that point, Larry. I think okay. I'm just I'll make a prediction, but I, I it could be wrong. And my prediction Love is, I, my prediction is that we'll get to see in season two Sauron doing some manipulation there. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we see him sort of messing with Celebrimbor or whatever, because Celebrimbor's like, where did I hear that language? You know, remember? You know, I think I think Sauron Halbrand was doing stuff that we just, they didn't show because it's too they can't. You know, we haven't had the reveal yet. You know, so they can't yes. show it. So they're gonna sh- hopefully they're gonna show it later because please, for the love of Eru Iluvatar. And the Valar show Sauron being Sauron. Show him manipulating the elves. That this was all a setup. He just wanted to get to a Region. Maybe he was messing with Gilgalad. Maybe he was he was planting seeds that they needed to do this. Like, give that to me, please, because I really I need to see Sauron having agency with his con. I don't right. need to see Sauron going. Oh yeah, I'll just I I faked a wound and now I'm going to go with you to a region. Oh, I'm now I'm in a region and now I'm going to suggest, you know, let's make these rings. Bull- he he excuse me. He needed <laughs> to have that idea in play for a long long time. He needed to know I'm going to get them to create these rings and then I'm going to forge the master ring. Like this is a play that he we needed to have him you know, working on, and it's not, uh, it's not winging it. I'm not going there and winging it. I want to point out a logistical thing about Sauron. Um, the stranger is physically embodied. He's stuck. Sauron is not. He yes. can incarnate and disincarnate at will. Yes. Anytime Sauron walks out of the room and shuts a door, he could be, as far as we know, 10 minutes – he could be in Numenor and be 10 minutes away from Linden for all we know. We don't know how fast a spirit travels. Hmm. Um, so he, he could that entire time he was in Numenor be going to Linden and working them because we know for a fact in the Silmarillion that that's what Gandalf did the entire first age. And um, that's like what it says in, in Olaren's uh, write-up is that he was like in spirit form whispering in the ears of the elves – like bolstering their spirits and then sometimes taking physical forms they didn't recognize, you know, and talking to them. But like his prime thing was not taking a physical form and l- spiritually uplifting him. And there's no way that, you know, you could say that, that Sauron couldn't do the same thing in the opposite direction, you know, whispering in their ears and giving them, you know, doing the Satan thing, you know, uh, saying, hey, look. Your tree's looking awful crappy. I bet you something terrible's happening to the elves. I bet you your souls are disintegrating. You've never seen an elf diminish before. This is a brand new effect to you. You've never seen anything like this. Elves are diminishing it. It's the apocalypse, right? Have you noticed that you're weaker? Have you noticed that you're weaker? You haven't noticed that you're weaker before. I mean, sure, I know that's a natural process that's just been happening over the last age, but you haven't noticed it. Now notice it. Notice it. Notice that you're weaker and notice that that tree's disintegrating. It's the apocalypse, you know? And uh, yeah, and then back to the thing and, oh, I'm doing my Smith work. You know, he can – because he's not bound to a body. I, I hope you're right. And like – Me too. I, I hope you're right. I hope that – because I was planning in my little brain – that they were going to show up in uh, Eregion right at the end in, in episode eight. 
and we would meet Lord Anatar, and yeah, he that, and Hal Brand, my... Hal Brand would walk in, you know, because I thought, well, it, it's too obvious. There's too many, there's too many obvious things. The writers couldn't possibly have made Hal Brand any more like Sauron. Like it's like, <laughs> it's like so Sauron. Like this got to be a red herring, but no, no, no. Like we, we, it's fine. He's Sauron. Lord Anatar, Lord of Gifts, is not hanging out in Eregion. He's not in Linden. He's been with Galadriel since the raft. You know, I don't, I don't know about going over the sea. I agree with you. He could. Yeah. He could change shape, go into a vampire bat like he did in the past and, and go over there. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know if the writers are, are going down that road. So, may- well, I, I'll point out that when they had the conversation with uh, the Tolkien professor where he was quizzing them, he wasn't just – coming up with stuff from letters he was coming up with they were coming up with stuff from the most obscure letters and quoting like footnotes uh, that Chris Tolkien wrote in the history they know their stuff like every change they make they're making very deliberately they know their stuff so like if they're not doing a thing they're not doing it on purpose if they're doing a thing they're doing it on purpose like every they know it whether or not they use it is like a whole other I, I actually think that might work against them in, in the big picture because it's interesting. So they they know Tolkien in this depth, right? But there is also a point where you can use some of these things and they will not translate to an audience that an audience that thinks they know Tolkien really well, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a big Tolkien expert. I love Lord of the Rings. I've read but, but yeah, that doesn't mean people know some of that deep lore and knowledge or letters or references. Um and so sometimes when they're presented, they feel or they seem to an audience to be incorrect when they actually are. Yeah. But, but they're obscure enough that it's it alienates the audience. So I don't I don't know. Um I have not stated a position in this podcast of oh. what I think of the series. Yeah, go ahead. Do it. And and that's really good and deliberate actually. Oh, I'm oh, okay. glad of that. But I'm going to do it now. Okay. Because I value both of you and your insights and I maybe you can talk me out of this. Uh I one of the problems I, I and by the way I like this series and I will be watching five seasons of it and I think all the people who are complaining will also be watching five seasons of it right but it, it like and and there's a problem like I had in my head what it could be I know for sure Paul that in conversations in past years I was like Numenor it's got to be Numenor and I feel great about that that was a great position personally I would have focused on the viewpoint of men in Numenor and had the elves kind of be at the periphery, peripheral part of the show. But that's my choice. And I have to reconcile that, like, whatever I decide is not what they decided. And it, and my answer isn't right and theirs is wrong. I don't like how toxic the fandom is around the show. Yeah. And, I, and I hope that can be fixed. And I hope over time. My other great hope for the show is it's a series and it's ongoing. And it can get better. And all the people writing and crafting the show – will learn how to make a big giant show because they made one and they're going to make more. So I'm pretty optimistic, but I did not love season one. I, I don't have a deep abiding love for it. And here is my sort of issue. Having watched the final episode, it felt to me that they were heavily invested in the two big reveals in that show. Who is the stranger and who is Sauron? Uh, I don't think that needed to be the answer for season one or the question for season one. I didn't need those giant reveals as much as I needed a, a, an ongoing story. I didn't need those to be the, the – fi- it even was marketed that way. and Maybe that's the marketing problem. But like 
Tune in to season to episode eight so you can see the two big reveals. I don't care about the big reveals I, at all, well, especially because they didn't reveal who the stranger was. Well, yes, yes they did. Yes, they did. It was I mean, rushed, they, Larry. Right, the ending, they, the, the season they, finale was rushed. Yes, they kind of hinted it, and they like you can suppose, but they didn't. Well, it, no, this is a tiny issue, but it, it's actually it's a massive I mean, issue we all know. for me. But when the stranger literally quotes Gandalf from 200 years in the future in the Peter Jackson movies that the series is not supposed to be related to and says to his little hobbit friend, just follow your nose. When in doubt, just follow your nose. It's more like 3,000 years. Yeah, 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 Literally like the same line that Gandalf – and it's like a nod to the audience like, see? Well, I we- knew it. He turned the person into a moth. But, you know – It makes me want to – yeah, he turned he turned Slim Shady into a moth. Um, and it, I died. That, that part drove a stake through my heart because I'm like, mm. d- first of all, don't borrow dialogue. Write your own. It, th- that nod to fans does not help me and it doesn't help But my the point audience. is my mo- they didn't reveal it to my mother. Okay, sure. And there's plenty of audience to, that wouldn't know. But there's also a lot of people like, oh, that's Gandalf. Anyway, the stranger's Gandalf. Sorry if that ruined spoilers. <laughs> I'll have to put a disclaimer he's, he's when I go back. He's not a blue. He's not a blue wizard. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this. I, if it wasn't I, oh, obvious. I will. I will. Yeah. I will. But that, there's no way we can discuss this show without, without like, spoilers. spoilers. Right. So, so I wish that the that this. It seems to me the construction of the series was based on these two reveals in the episode eight, and I didn't need them. I I could have known who Sauron was much earlier, and I and I wanted and hope, as Paul has mentioned, I want to see the the vile craft of Sauron as he infects the mind of Gilglad and Celebrimbor and 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 actually I like I think you just said this mm-hmm. I like the idea of him whispering in their ear I want to make the t-shirt Sauron doing the devil thing since mm-hmm. the first age or something like, like I love <laughs> I love the idea of that and that's what I would have liked to see more of even if the audience knew who it was but they didn't and then it helps me also that Celebrimbor is not a uh, I almost said a swear. A dumb guy. Um, An ankle head? Yeah, because in the show, I I felt he and Gilgalad weren't great. So like, so I have some issues, and and those are that's sort of my thing. And I want to see the craft of the rings, and I wanted those three rings to be done in secret, away from that bad influence, from this bad infectious thinker and speaker who whispers vile things and poisons the minds of. Well, fantasy is gone when they do it. Yeah, yeah, it could be secret, but I yeah. but I want to know that, and I also want to see the creation of the other rings, the dwarf rings, and the men rings. So I hope season two does that, and there's every reason to think it could. This is not like the final word on making rings. But. Yeah, I mean, there was some weird um, the time compression in that last episode led to some weird time jumps. Yeah, there is a scene, there's a cut where, by my math. Two months and one week pass because Elrond asks for three months. Uh, the the Celebrimbor tells him to you know crank up the forge. You see them cranking up the forge in a little montage, and they cut straight to we have three weeks left. Yeah, and I'm like, wow, did like I didn't notice it the first time. Through. I'm like, did two months and a week have they been working on this for they could have made the rings the the other 16 rings in that time because you know according to the legendarium the they were all test cases like those could have been all of their failed rings the nine and the seven could have been all of their failed rings that- no 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 i i'm sorry let me let me let me just drop a little bit of lore that you will remember when i say it okay okay first of all there are no rings for men 
and dwarves. They right. were, were all for rings elves. for elves. Right. So mm. all of those that's, rings... That's my bad, because yeah, I stated you're, otherwise you're incorrectly. Okay. You're okay. The 16 rings that are first created are all created for the elves for some nebulous reason, probably to help preserve their realms and create heaven right. on earth. Well, okay. And also because Celebrimbor liked making things. Like the whole Tolkien theme of sub-creation, like... Iluvatar created us and we're going to create beautiful things. And that's a good enough reason to make rings. Well, he, he, but Sauron was, was with him right. showing him how right. to craft right. the 16 right. rings. And but, then, and then he's gone. They, they, they kick him out. He's out They're They're not into him anymore. Lord Anatar go away. And now for some reason, which there's a little bit of, there's a little bit in unfinished tales but it's decided that we are now going to create the three elven rings. He's gone. We've made the 16. We're going to create these three. In secret. In secret. He doesn't know about them. So when we're watching the show and we're like, wait, he knows about this the whole time. But he thinks he thinks they're going to make two. So Gladriel's like, ah, I'm playing chess. We're going to make three because it's a balance. Right. You know, three Silmarils, three rings, whatever. So anyway, I, I, those of us with serious preconceived lore notions are pissed. I but, think. But but my point was is that one of the things I've read on the on the sixteen rings was that they weren't considered super successful. They were like uh, they were like they had been chalked up as like this was good, but it wasn't good enough. This is like a test case, right? Hmm. And I wonder um, where that is. I, I don't know. That. I don't know. Okay. It's in the Wikipedia article on like the hmm. One Ring net is where hmm. I. Caught it. So, so I think he just, I think he just stole them and left when he left. Stole uh, them? No, he didn't steal them. They had them. I thought, I no, thought okay, that so, Sar- so, because Sauron no. gives them out, doesn't he? No. Okay, Sauron. Real quick recap of the lore yeah. for you. We're going deep nerd them now. Yeah. Which Strap is good. In. That's why we're having a podcast. Strap in. So the sixteen rings are created. Sauron leaves for reasons. Mm-hmm. Then maybe they kick him out. He goes back to Mount Doom. It takes him like nine years. I'm trying to remember how many years it is to make the One Ring. But mm-hmm. his his idea is the elves are going to distribute these 16 rings mm-hmm. to the elves. To the elves, right. To the here. elves. Potentially they gave one to King Durin and Casa Doom. It's never stated for sure, but pretty sure King Durin and Casa Doom gets one. Right. Okay. Because he's a, he's a friend. He's, right. done, he's done well. King the, Durin Jr., the, the, th- the, the fourth, fourth. The fourth. So then the other rings are still with Celebrimbor. Now, during that 10 years that Sauron's making the one ring, they decide to make the three rings. Okay, so they still got them. Now, Sauron finds out about the three rings when he crafts the one ring. He puts on the one ring. And now the three elves wearing the elven rings and Sauron all link up mentally. Galadriel takes it off. Círdan takes it off. Gilgalad takes it off. Okay. That's the moment where Sauron's pissed. He's like, you made rings without me and I'm coming for you. And now he asks them for the rings. If you give me all the rings, we're cool and I won't annihilate you. (laughs) They tell him to F off. And then he raises an army, conquers almost all of Middle Earth, takes all the rings back. And then he gives them out. Right. But I'm, we're talking about the show and I was telling you what I was I was giving my theory of what just happened on the show. Please give your theory about what happened on the show. <laughs> so so my theory is that they might have created those 16 rings as test cases and all those failed attempts and he just stole them when he tried to kill Galadriel and left. So he might be in possession of all 16 rings right now. I I think you're I think you it's potentially you're right potentially but I think season 2 they're going to make them. I think they're going to make them. They might make them out of order, but like, 
how it doesn't the, feel good, does it? it uh, how like I don't know how they're as easily capturable. Like if they make them without him, yeah. how are they different from the three Elven Rings? So what I'm hoping is that we maybe get... maybe because they don't have the light of Eleanor. In yeah, them? yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, that could be it too. That's well, the other. That's the other way it would work. They'll say they're not made out of mithril and therefore suck. But Th- that could be a two. I could see this montage. Uh, I'm half joking, but not entirely of the happy days of Celebrimbor and Sauron on uh, Halbrand. I mean, uh, you know, happily in the workshop together, sweating, pounding their hammers and anvils and joyfully making a bunch of rings. Like I could see that as a flashback in, in season two. And I'm I'm half joking, but half not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we could learn more. That in that eighth episode, oh, there was a we didn't have time to show you a bunch of things, including these guys and their friendship and their ring forging. And now here's the rings. Like, yeah. I, f- I feel like that could exist. Larry, I have terrible, terrible fears. <laughs> I have such fears. So check this out. OK, they the Galadriel dropped it. Paul, just to set the scene for those listening, uh, Paul clutched his head and scrunched up his face and he's genuinely distressed and amused. At the As same he was time. having a brain baby. Yes. <laughs> Galadriel says to Celebrimbor, and we shall not treat with Halbrand again. Do not treat with him. And what do we know from the lore? Celebrimbor treats with him. Gilgalad and Galadriel tell him to F off. So here's what I'm afraid of. And it could be good TV. It could be good TV. Galadriel leaves Aragion. Gilgalad, Elrond, they're not there. Guess who shows up? <laughs> okay. And he's like, hey, bro, let's let's make some rings. And Calibrimbor is like, why, yes, I want to make rings with you. You know what? She very deliberately did not explain why they wouldn't treat with him. So if she was gone. Well, and also, like, uh, he could just show up in a different form. Right. True. He can shape change. He well, can- like, one of the theories, and I don't believe this because everything Halbrand says is too on – on on brand for Sauron, um, but one of the theories is is that Halbrand is Halbrand until the point where he gets wounded, and that like no. there will be there will be a there will be a, a but but listen to the whole theory first okay. right and there will be a reveal in season two where they find Halbrand's dead body that he died on the battlefield and oh. that's when Sauron took over and that there, there will be another reveal in season two that that Sauron wasn't mm. Halbrand the whole first season he was. 15 different characters okay, and that poppycock because <laughs> Hal Brown was on the, was on the raft with her. Excuse me. Sauron was on the raft with her. Like well, that's revealed. Right. Right. But I mean, he could have been Hal Brown twice. Right. I, I don't, what? I don't know. I don't no. know. I don't know. I, I, I haven't worked out the logistics mm-hmm. of all. My point is, is that he could have been stepping in as many different characters throughout the whole first season uh, because he's a mm. shapeshifter. And maybe we'll see those scenes that were not shown to us, right? right Where he did right. that. Because remember when Slim Shady, I like your name for and the That's dweller, not insulting. Right? That's just who he evokes to me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not making fun of the show when I say that, but it yeah. clearly identifies who this guy is, to me, at least. Or gal, whatever. But anyway, are you talking about the three witches? Kind yes. Of? Okay, so like, blonde, so like, hair. we saw the power of the, the shadow magic where, they, where she was shape-changing and everything, mm-hmm. like, so perfectly, right? Yes, and. Right. and, and and Deliberately, wanna, for sure. I hope. I hope we can talk about them at some point. But Sauron could do that. He could absolutely do that, and yes. he doesn't even have to do like a magic veil. His his flesh right. changes. I mean, I'm pretty sure Adar. Like I rewatched that scene where all of the orcs attack the village, and uh, we find out at the end that like half of them were humans. There is not a single scene up until there where any of the where any of the people could have been a human. 
I, I rewatched like maybe extras in the background, but there is a single scene where there is an orc in shot, like you know, that you can identify where any of the orcs could have been humans in armor. Um, and uh, so I'm pretty sure that Adar had a veil on the humans to make them look more orc-like in that fight. Oh. So, like, um, uh, the... Yeah, I thought there were orcs in the beginning of that, too. I, yeah. like yeah. I assume there were some mixed... The, yeah. like, it's def- like it's definitely mixed, because there's a dying orc saying, yeah. you know, that re- does the reveal for us. So it was definitely mixed. But, um, like, every time you see orcs fighting, they're moving like orcs, they're grunting like orcs. Not one of them moves like a human. Mm. Um and and they're all all everyone we can see their face is an open faced helm. Um so the the I'm pretty sure that he just had a just a real simple veil on all of them that he was just powerful enough to do that, you know. And uh you know, to do a whole army. But um yeah so like Sauron's even Sauron's enemy, you know. Do you remember like, me? Yes. <laughs> no. And then later he remembers him. Yeah. Yeah. He does. He does. <laughs> well, we've. It doesn't feel like it to us in the room, but we've talked for quite a while now, like fifty good minutes, almost fifty-five. So we have to find a way to. Get, like, we're not on a strict time crunch, but we can't do this forever either. Well, we could do this forever, but I can't expect anyone listening to to go with us forever. Um, so let's think about this. Was there a was there a moment for you when? the series when it gelled for you when you felt like okay i'm gonna be on board and i'm and i'm into this or or did you both come at it as like yeah whatever comes i'm willing to take as a as a tolkien fan i'm gonna embrace this for what it is Um, I'm guessing it was, I mostly liked one, two, I was mixed on because of the raft stuff. And I, I, I was like, if I, uh, Halbrand is Sauron, I liked it if it didn't, but I didn't know he was Sauron for sure. So like all of the stuff with the monster being like, are you cool, bro? Do I attack you or do I not attack you? Like, like that was all, was all like super sketchy to yeah. me. Um, so it was probably in three when they get to Numenor and uh, like everything in Numenor was just so well done for me that it really – I mean I liked one but Numenor I think is when I was like – no, no. I'm sorry. Kazadum. Mm. Kazadum. That was That's moment. what I was going to say actually. Yeah, Kazadum. I forgot Kazadum's in two. Uh, when I saw the inside of Kazadum, I'm like, and it's a mine. They call it a mine. Yeah. 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 Instead of yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I'm I'm the guy who's always mad at his friends because they pee in their Cheerios. <laughs> you know, they're like, "You're gonna eat it. Why are you peeing in it?" You know, the the toxic fandom online. Gosh, I I sure hope it gets better. It's really hard for me, actually. I'm a sensitive soul, and it's hard for me to see so much hate thrown around. And listen, I'm gonna quibble about the show. I'm gonna quibble about this or that. Overall, I like it. The, the, the showrunners know more about Tolkien than I do by far, and I know a lot. Uh, they are, they're brilliant, really. They've done a lot of brilliant writer stuff. But see, we have a problem. We have preconceived notions. 
we have canon issues. I do. I think I openly admit that I have preconceived things going into the series. And it's a little hard for me to let go sometimes. It's so sure. hard. It's so hard. And I, and I try to be very flexible and forgiving and I fail and I get mad about a, a something or whatever. I saw episode eight, the season finale, and I was upset because of the time compression and they made the three rings and I was upset. I was cool with the reveal of Halbrand. I liked that. You know, I liked a lot of it, but I was upset and I went to bed upset. And then I got up the next morning and I took the day off work and I because, watched. Because of this? No. Okay. I want to say it was because of this, but I'd, I'd taken it off already because I wanted, I knew I wanted to watch the entire season again mm. that next day. So I watched episode eight again in the morning and I liked it so much better. I really liked it. I think perhaps the the knowledge that I was looking at Gandalf, that I was looking at Sauron, it helped me mentally. And to and for and the jarring nature of of, of Episode Eight, where they broke canon quite a bit, you know, like now I could kind of deal with it better. So what I'm hoping is that when the other seasons are released, it all gels better, and it feels more like a complete awesome work of art. We're still going to quibble with it, right. but I, I'm, I'm feeling like as it all comes together and I agree with you, Larry, they're going to do better in later seasons. You know, they're going to, they're not going to make the same mistakes. They're going to make different ones, but hopefully they're going to be better. So like, honestly, let's, I, sorry to interrupt and keep your thought, but of course they will. How can they not like it? This is a big, really hard show and it's really expensive and it's really complex. And the writer's room is new. And even if they're all good writers, which they are, and then you combine them in a room. This is hard work. This is super hard work. And so they do this for a season. And they, by the way, are 0% oblivious to all the anger and hatred and vitriol out there. They are fully aware of it. Every writer is. You can follow them on Twitter. All of the actors are. And I have something to say about that. And in every aspect of the show, and it is really hard to do this, right? Let's never forget that and take that for granted. So you do this for a season. You do eight episodes. You learn a ton of things, and then it gets on screen. Just like when you write, like you yep. go back and edit, but you can't edit. It's got release. It's on Amazon. So you get to then plan ahead and figure out better ways to do things. And the actors are more comfortable in their roles. And all the things get better. It's just like practice. You spend a bunch of hours doing things. You get better at doing them. Season two will probably be better than season one. And I bet season three will be better. They'll hit a stride where they peak and then maintain that level. I believe that 100%. And I, th I think if you go watch some of the greatest shows in TV history, The Wire, uh, Sopranos, Game of Thrones, they got better. Everyone's mm -hmm. uh, even like... Well, anyway, that's enough of that. But I, gonna, I, I fully just, believe. It I want to say better. something to the listeners right now. If any of you do what I just did and watch, and what Paul just did, and just watch the whole show again, I'm going to speak to you as a writer. Um, there's a lot of filmmaker stuff I could tell you too, but no, I'm going to speak to you as a writer. Watch the main theme of the story that they iterate in the first scene about looking up and looking down. Watch every scene dealing with decisions and evil with that note. Like that, I, I thought that the whole thing about Mithril and the leaves and the elves was bunk because Elrond didn't believe it. He's the smartest character in the show. And when the smartest character in the show doesn't believe something, I don't believe it. But look at it thematically. They tell you straight out it's false by the theme. If you look down, it's evil. And you're looking down to the Mithril. And they make that real clear at the end when they show you the Balrog, yep. right? Yes. <laughs> and if you look up, it's true. And they hit that every time. I think she looks down before she jumps off the boat. 
uh, to Valinor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She looks down to the water, makes the wrong decision, jumps off the boats, banned from Valinor. Um, the It goes through the whole thing with her, like, do you look down? Do you look up? And it culminates in her final decision. She's standing Sauron. Sauron's giving her the Satan speech, the join me speech from legend. You know, just worship me <laughs> and and I will do everything for you if you'll just worship me, you know. We can be. Yeah, and she looks she looks down and sees the reflection and she rejects it. And that is like her final I mean she's she's turned her 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 she's turned the corner since then when she gave the, the sword away and stopped being the warrior. But that's her final rejection of evil when she looks down to the water and rejects the light she sees in the water. I think that's brilliant. And if anyone is listening and you didn't just understand that in the opening moments of episode one when Gladriel is a child and she's talking to her brother and her boat sinks down, she gets the down and up speech. And that theme carries and the, and the, the I call it a film. I don't know what else to call it. The show ends recalling that moment. It bookends. It's the front and the back of the series. And that's and what you're talking about. Yes, Brilliant. It's, every, it's all through. Like the dwarves right. end on talking about digging down and, you know, you see the Balrog. Every you they they cue you every decision, whether it's good or bad decision on whether it's going up or looking down, whether it's looking up or looking down. And you're talking what you're talking about is a writing choice, but it's mm-hmm. also a visual choice because it's a visual medium. So it's on screen, but it's verbalized. It's all those things. That's right. I mean, that's a brilliant note that people should not uh, not pay attention to. Right. Well, well said, Paul, you were going to react to that, too. I saw. I I think there's a lot that's in there that we haven't appreciated yet, to be honest. Like, I I need to study it more. I've watched all episodes three times at this point. That's, you know, which is it's commitment. But there's a lot more to it because I'm just paying attention to the pretties. And there's all these thematic elements that are there. And I tell you what, I've I've gotten misty eyed. I've shed a few tears, usually with with Harfoot's being sad and whatever. But this show has got me. I mean, it's got my heart. It's got my heart. The, everything with Durin and Elrond, I love the dwarves so, so much. Do I hate King Gilgalad right now? Yes, because we're supposed to. We're supposed to hate him. You know, like... You well, kind of like, liked him rejecting the kingly crown like Caesar. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot there. And what they're doing is is Tolkien in a lot of ways. Sauron says, you will be my queen. Galadriel refuses to be a queen for the next 3,000 years. She yeah. refuses that title. There's so much there. Yeah. So I yeah. love that moment. And I also, the, the language they used, a couple of words evoked Jackson films. And I was like, no, don't evoke Jackson. Just make it about this. Right? But uh, but really well done. Like but, really but well I, done. I think that we can all agree on one thing. And that is that out of all of the characters that didn't get like, Character checked in the last in the last episode. The one we all miss the most is is Beric the horse, <laughs> the <laughs> super horse, good, good boy, who's on his epic quest to save Isildur. <laughs> and I know that we all we all I know that we're all in agreement that Isildur probably isn't going to show up to like episode six or seven in season two. Oh, and the first the first six or seven episodes are just going to be Eric's. That's going to be the a line a through line for the for the series in season two. It's going to be Beric the super horses. 
epic quest to save Isildur. Yeah. yeah it's going to be it's going to be groundbreaking television. I could go with a horse episode with subtitles, nothing else. Yeah, he's going to be speaking in nothing but like equine Sindarin. Yes. Yes. Like the, the, in <laughs> fact, it could be just a bonus episode. You don't have to watch, but it's available. No, no, no. A seven episode arc. Oh, okay. You want the whole thing. All right. Well, there's your first spinoff, Amazon. I hope you're listening because worth giving you money. Eric the Wonder Horse. Um, Paul. <laughs> I didn't get – you can respond to anything, but I didn't also get like when when you signed on, when you emotionally oh, oh, yeah, climbed yeah. on board. I didn't get that from you. I mean if I'm being honest, I, I signed on forever ago. Good. Be honest. <laughs> you know, like so, like when I heard they were going to do a show, I'm like, thank you so much for giving me more Middle Earth because I want to go there. And I think, I think like both of you, I was afraid that it would just be really bad, like a cheesy, bad fantasy. It's not. It's not a cheesy, bad fantasy. We can quibble. We can argue, whatever. But it's not like really super badly acted or done or whatever. There's a few moments where it's like, really, keep swimming, just keep swimming. thought I saw that in a movie sometime. Yeah. Anyway, no, no, it's fine. Like, we all make little decisions, you know, that, that we're going to quibble with. Other people are going to quibble with ours. We're going to quibble with theirs. It's totally fine. But I feel like I'm in Middle Earth. It's a different one than I've read about. It's a different one. But it's still wonderful to be there. And I'm actually just treasuring getting to be with the Harfoots and getting to be in Casa Doom. And I'm, I'm not peeing in my Cheerios. I'm going to enjoy the journey. I'm going to give it a critical analysis. I'm not going to give it my blind faith. But gosh, I want to enjoy those moments where I get to watch the show. And I don't want to hate you know, on the internet for the next two years before season two comes out. I don't want to just be filled with hate. I want to enjoy what I saw and I want to appreciate it for what it is. It's th that's their art. That's their vision. Are there things to appreciate? Yes, there are. Here's, here's one thing I appreciated and I'm curious if either of you caught it you can tell me I'm wrong. So one of the, or in the first show, a shot that thrilled my, it nourished my soul and it makes it, when I have these soul nourishing moments, it makes it easier for me to have soul degrading moments in the show, like when I'm disappointed. But it's okay because I got this other thing. So the ship burning, or the, the there's a flash when Galadriel's talking from underwater of what I think is the kinslaying at Aqualande, mm -hmm. and I I'm like, oh my gosh, I just saw that on my screen, and my soul feels like yeah, it's amazing, it's soaring. So I had one of those in episode eight as well. Um, uh, oh, I just forgot her name. The sister on the I can't Human pronounce world. it. The, uh, the, 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 future, e. the future world's cutest Nazgul? Yes. She oh, is appealing, right? Wait, who? <laughs> the, the daughter sister. Isildur's sister, but I yeah, can't remember her name. Yarwin. Okay. Yarwin. When she she gets access to the secret chamber and she walks up there, I think it's a look at a Palantir. I can't even yes, remember what yeah, happened. It's, it's the Palantir. I was yeah. busy doing backflips in my living room, so I think I missed what came after. She walks by what is clearly a dwarven-made helm in the background because we've seen dwarven-made helms in Khazad Doom, and there it is, and that's the helm of Turin Turambar. And mm -hmm. I, in the treasure room, and I just was like, yes, by myself in my living room. It was really cool, and I'm probably confident John Howe just sketched them a Nar thing. Narsal is there too i didn't notice yeah I was, yeah it was in a previous episode the, the helm and narsil appeared in a previous episode i saw you post about it and i was like all about it and i was oh. i saw it too i thought it was super cool too oh so i mean so that's a thing like look they made a show where i can see the helm of turin turambar and listeners if you don't know who turin is he's one of the greatest men who ever lived but also the worst and he has this terrible 
story arc of tragedy and it's it's awful and the elves have his helm or sorry the men have his helm and they've saved it in a treasure room it's pretty it's aragorn's ancestor it's really awesome and in one version of the story he kills morgoth in the end oh i have not read that version yeah like in one of the versions of like the final days like after the world ends at the end of the world he's like he comes back and and he's the one who strikes the final blow on morgoth I can't even believe we're talking about Turin. But Turin's remarkable because he's a he's a man, he's a human, and the elves who tell the story of the Silmarillion include him significantly. They these elves are talking about this human, which is super cool. So he must have been, you know, the man, but also despicable and horrible and made lots of bad choices. He made lots of bad choices. Yeah, he he did vile <laughs> things, but he also did great things. Um anyhow. He looks down a lot. Yes, he does. Uh, <laughs> I might be wrong because I haven't read it in a long time. But doesn't Elrond mention him in the Council of Elrond in he, Lord of the Rings? Does he name, mention his name checks somewhere in the Lord of the Rings? It's probably the Council of Elrond. Because Elrond's like Frodo. You're super cool. You're as cool as like. And then names. Some it's people. like either him or uh, Fam uh, uh mentions him. Like one of the yeah, two. Of somebody. Yeah. So like that's one of the names, by the way. That like Lord of the Rings readers for decades had no idea what it was. And then, and then Chris forgot the Silmarillion published, and you're like, oh! And now, of course, probably on your bookshelves, but definitely on mine, there's a the Children of Huron book, which I, you can read all about that guy. It's so my, anyway, phone. so there's me being super nerdy, but that was like those moments in the series. Like, yeah, I have some angst about some other things, but I also have the Helm of Turn Turnbar, and that's really exciting to me. I mean, that yeah, it just gets me excited and so yes paul I, I like i might be a little guilty of trickling some pee in my cheerios not the full <laughs> thing but um there are some things that are hard for me to swallow right yeah but uh, but i'm still cho- i choose to embrace the series so i i do have one more topic to cover but i sure. don't want to cut either of you off if you have anything to say about any of the broad things we're talking about no, i just rant, rant about how uh Beric is the uh <laughs> the, the Samwise of, of season two. Uh, yeah. But yeah, go on. <laughs> so we've mentioned a couple of times, and and I don't know who will ever hear these words, right? So we're imagining an audience. But, but I do think there's really a problem with fandom, right? And it's not all a fandom. No. Um, we don't I, – I, if we've never – the three of us have not talked about this, but I'm pretty confident saying that we care zero – if there's like multiracial casting in the show, like who cares? Right. Right. And people who have a big issue with that or say that that's somehow ruining the show, that's definitely a them problem. Right. Like I, like I don't even care to address it. It's just every time um, somebody brings it up, I point out that they whitewashed the Harfoots. They're all supposed to be brown. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody seems – You now we're going to diverge on the Harfoots <laughs> because there's one more thing I really wanted to say in my personal season wrap-up. It seems to me – tell me if I witnessed this wrong – that the Harfoots are gone except one who's going to hang out with Gandalf, right? Yes. Okay. I mean – I, I wouldn't be surprised if we'd come back because they follow a, a set migrational pattern, so we could check in with them frequently, you know. I would love to never see them again, personally. Aww. Like, I very much want the show to be about elves and men and dwarves. And, and I, look, I enjoy Hobbits as much as anyone, but I feel like that's such a later thing. And I like the delight and the surprise of in the Third Age when Sauron has no idea who Hobbits are or what they are. And other people are like, what? What? I like – anyway. Well, I'm, 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 my big hope for this I, – I can't remember if I said this at FanX. Um, we know that we know that hobbits existed in the Second Age because Tolkien has said they did, and we know that 
Gandalf was running around doing things through all of the ages because he says that in the Silmarillion. And we well, know – Well, he says that about the first age. Does he actually say that Gandalf doesn't doing say, things? He doesn't say the second age, but there's no reason he would have stopped. OK. Right? OK, fair. Yeah. There's like one little paragraph in the Silmarillion. That basically, that basically says he was doing things – he was doing lots of things that the elves never found out about. Right. So I think him being there, you could interpret it as canon. You could. Yes. So what, so what I'm hoping is that we see him and the Harfoots, both of who the elves don't really know about. I hope we see them doing stuff through the whole thing that, you know, if Galadriel and Elrond find out about them, I'm fine with that. Right. As long as they're kind of like, oh, you guys like to stay hidden. We'll just keep this on the hush hush. Right. Um, as long as it doesn't as long as we know it doesn't make it into the elven annals, because the Silmarillion is totally the elven annals. If we get to the end and they've done all of the stuff in the back and it never like like Gil Gallant has no idea any of it happened. Kellen Burbor has no idea any of it ever happened. And then uh, and then, uh, you know. Gandalf just quietly nips back off to Valinor and waits for the Istari to really gather. I think that will be brilliant because we have his pre, pre, you know, relationship with the, with the hobbits. We've built up all of that, you know, why he loves them so much because they were the ones who issued him into like having a body. We have why the, the, the elves not knowing about him. No canon's been violated, but that one paragraph in the Silmarillion about Gandalf doing all of this stuff. Behind the scenes that nobody ever found out about is like super honored, you know. So, do you want Harfoots, Paul? Well, I love hobbits so much. I mean, I like, I grew up thinking that I was a freaking hobbit. So, I wanted <laughs> hobbits in this show. I desperately did. That's I, a personal stake if I've ever heard it. I desperately <laughs> wanted the hobbits in the show. And, and Nori and Poppy, I love them so much. And I think they're great. I think some of the other hobbits were written a little too harshly for my taste. I don't agree with certain creative choices that they made there. They came around. At the end of the season, they came around. They they figured out how to be better little Harfoots. Um, other other point, Bob, I, I completely agree with you. And then I want our readers to understand that P- Professor Tolkien knew that it was going to be Sam and Frodo destroying the One Ring and that hobbits are the most important race in Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. And the gods sent... Gandalf to hang out with them and get in tight with them because the gods knew that they were going to be the ones at the end to take care of the ring of power. So this is just, this is just foreshadowing my friends. Like, right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm no, go play. ahead. If you don't like the, the, in the show, it's fine. So it, for me in the show, I feel like a, they were put in there for marketing purposes. So when they showed everybody marketing, they could include hobbits and people who don't know anything about it can be like, oh, just like right. Lord of the Rings. Um, I really actually like Nori. She's the one character that I think works. And if she continues on, I'm probably cool in some scenario like Bob, like you described, like it's not part of the main action. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like when I and, – and I'll go watch. I haven't done my homework as well as you. But when I go watch the eight series, eight episode series, I feel like – Whenever I was with the Harfoots, I was taken away from more important matters, and I didn't enjoy the narrative as much. However, well, and also I didn't feel like it was a huge need for me to—I would have been fine if I met Gandalf later in season two. But as you say, he very likely was around doing the things that Gandalf does, and I'm pretty okay with that. And uh, I I can live with it, but I I just want to get on with, like, Numenor. No, as a a writer, it's— 
it's superfluous to the plot, right? This is just it feels this, that to me. It's superfluous. It's not part of the plot right now. It might it might well be. It might well be part of the plot later, but it really isn't a, an addendum to it. And there is there is canon. Frodo sings a has a poem called "The Man in the Moon," or maybe it's Bilbo. <laughs> but anyway, this we could be seeing the Man in the Moon. Anyway, it's Frodo. I'm, I'm glad it's Frodo. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad that I have hobbits in this series, but really. It's more of a selfish thing for me. Like the I, only time I've cried is over Poppy. Me too. Mm. When, the song. When, when no, well, no, I like the song, mm-hmm. but Poppy, Poppy tells her the uh, the this is like the time that you tried to fix, you tried to adopt the eagle with the broken wing, and she said I only did that once, and then we find out she didn't do that once. She did that twice because Poppy's entire family died. And she's been taking care of Poppy. Yeah. And Poppy doesn't even get it. Wow, right? Bob, you got me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I started to cry when I said that. <laughs> we find out, it's like, right afterwards, we find out that she's been doing that for Poppy the whole time. And so, like, like, and, and, and then later when Poppy goes all Samwise on her in episode seven, uh, you know, like, like, that's like the total reversal. Like, you're not going without me. You know, I, I just, I. I really like Poppy. The, I do. the Hobbits are the heart of Tolkien's writing. You yeah. know? And they, they say it in the show, like the writers have Poppy's, excuse me, uh, Nori's father make this speech about how we have heart. And I think Tolkien did think of the Hobbits as heart. And that, yeah. and heart is like their power, you know, and he, he says it very eloquently. And I love that speech, actually. But I, I get it. You know, it's it's different. It's not it's. It should be Numenor, right? It should be Numenor and the elves fighting Sauron. And we get this other story that we've never heard of that's suspicious. Maybe at the end when all five seasons are out, like it'll just make sense. Yeah, I think they were making a point with having them separate because I think I'm hoping that they're doing the thing I said and that they were making a very deliberate point in the first season by not having them connect to anything to show, to set up their precedent about how this isn't. Like this is going parallel and it's going to all come together brilliantly. And I'm hoping that that's what, why that was done the way it was done. Well, I have some more devil's advocacy for you. Uh-huh. Sauron's advocacy. Um, <laughs> I, I did one. Th- so I just said I didn't care for Harfoots, but I did. I did enjoy seeing the agents of Sauron. And I thought it did add to the show that they're looking for Sauron. I, I appreciated that. And they mistakenly thought this Maiar, who was Gandalf, was possibly him i was like oh that's pretty cool because that's yeah. they probably would be looking for sorrow like that's this spirit being who could be anywhere and i kind of i was i thought that added to the show particularly like i it was zero percent surprise when they said you're sauron to gandalf like right. oh he's clearly not sauron if right. they just said that like obviously he's not Sauron. so th- i mean that was the moment where like right at the beginning, but <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. I'm like, okay, they did the teaser and they didn't do it. The only way you can do a reveal in the teaser that actually <laughs> is, is a reveal. So I know, I know it's wrong. I yes. know it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was right then. I was like, Oh, it's Halbert. Like, that's the moment I knew it was. Him. But, but anyway, that's all good. Cause I don't think the show should or did the enjoyment of it did not hinge on the reveal, right? right? Like that's cute for marketing, but that's not what makes the show good. So here's the rest of my devil devil's advocacy as far as Tolkien Tolkien's writings go. Most all of his writings were all about the ancient world of Arda. And only when he was grading that paper and flipped it over and wrote, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit, not mm-hmm. a dirty, nasty hole. He accidentally discovered 
the hobbits, right? And they became so sen- – and in fact, the hobbit didn't fit into the cosmology at all until <laughs> later he figured it out and kind of re-wigged some things. So I'm pretty great if – I don't disagree that they're the heart of Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Like they, they right. obviously they, – clearly they are. Sam and Frodo and Merry and Pitt. Because it's about them. Right, right. right. Yeah. Clearly that's true. But um, I would be also great if we – I just don't think we need them at all when we talk about the Second Age. We know they're there now. And they now they have a tie into Gandalf, and that's cool. And Nori's she's really great. And I actually I think that actress in particular really was good in season she one. Was. I really Kavanaugh. Yeah, thought she was just really great. So uh, I've had enough Harfoots, and they serve their purpose. And and I wouldn't mind seeing a little thing. And and I actually really like your idea, Bob. You sold me on it. Like Gandalf does some stuff that's behind the scenes that makes no difference to Gladriel, and no difference to Gil Glad, and no, like, cool. That's cool. or, or it makes a huge difference. They just don't know. Right. They, right. 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 It doesn't register with them enough that they would include it in their history. It like, just isn't. It's off screen. Like in one of my books, I have this whole subplot with uh, a cat trying to save the world for cat kind. And, at the, and it's a comedy, obviously. Right. But at the end, the cats, the cat succeeds and saves the world for all cat kind and accidentally Save saves the – the the all the human world too saves all life on the planet, and uh, the main character never figures it out. Like the main character is like, what was the point of this adventure? I don't know. I guess we just, I mean, we beat the bad guy. I guess I don't, huh? I guess sometimes adventures are just adventures, and the world isn't at stake. Well, let's just go home, right? Like the main character never figures out like that. There's another character that did all of the stuff behind the scenes. You know, yeah. hey, look, my cat's here. That's weird. You know, yeah. So. so <laughs> I, I I think that's funny. So let me let me just tell you a little bit about Tolkien as a writer for just a second. He was a pantser. He flew by the seat of his pants. He, he didn't sure know did. Galadriel was was going to be a character. He's writing Moria, you know, the Bridge of Casa Doom. They leave Moria. They're going down the hill. They're going to go to the Elven Wood. He knows about the Elven Wood. He has no idea that Galadriel is there. Is the Lady of of Lothlorien or mm. Celeborn, and. As he first writes her, she's got a different name, and then eventually she's a Sindarin elf. And, like, I, I could be getting uh, that detail wrong, but basically she was a low-status elf. And then he's like, wait, she's a high-status. She's a Noldor. And she just kept elevating and elevating and elevating. So 25 years Tolkien retconned. That's uh, taking canon and, you know, changing it. He retconned Galadriel for 25 years, the last 25 years of his life, and she became more and more and more and more high status until she became Sauron's number one opponent in Middle-earth. And that's how Galadriel ended. So, like, he's a guy who does not know what the hell's going on (laughs) with his writing. And then just this one little thing happens. And boom, there we are. She's the most important character that we know nothing about. Yeah, I mean, Lord of the Rings did not take place in the same universe as, you know, the the Numenorians and the the Silmarils until he wrote the line, I will tell you the tale of Alluvial or whatever, that – Aragorn says to the hobbits on the hill, and then he was like, wait a second. <laughs> I'm about to tell the story of, like, Baron and Luthien. This takes place in the same universe. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing, right? I mean, yeah. That really is amazing. And it, uh, we're not here to talk about the merits of the Lord of the Rings novel. Oh, to true, true. Sorry. But it's one of the most, as a first-time reader, the the uh, it's magic how yeah. he creates a sense of 
largeness and epicness in the background that we don't know about. And we just – but he's just so brilliant at making you feel that bigness that's unknown. And then it turns out, oh, like you said, oh, my cosmology works rather nicely with all this. These epic poems I've been writing will will work. Well, it's also funny how he treated his own work as a college professor. And somebody would say, well, what about this? How does – how does your world what, – what does this mean in your world? Like what were the uh, – you know, what was – what is Radagast's role on this or whatever? And instead of telling you or making it up, he would say, well, let's consult the texts. And he'd analyze his own texts as if they were written by another person. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a college professor would. And then give you the answer as if he didn't write them. You know, and it, it was just—it was just fascinating. It was just fascinating. I think Glorfindel and being in Lord of the Rings is is a case of that as well. Like yeah. he had a, he had a Glorfindel in his cosmology, and then he was like, "This could be the same guy," and yeah, then exactly. devised a way that it worked. <laughs> and by the way, readers, listeners, if you don't know, it is the same guy. Yeah. That is the same Glorfindel. I re- I remember as a young reader thinking, uh, knowing that there was a Gladriel in the Silmarillion, and in. And I was like, surely that can't be the same. She's like the third generation. I've looked at the at the at the at the family tree. She's like third generation in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking that was not possible. And so much, I like the answer so much better that it is possible, and it is. Uh, okay, we're at a point where we've got to wrap up. Um, this has like been a great discussion. Like, thank you. Um, do you have either final words or? I can ask a question that we can close on, which whichever feels better to you guys. Uh, Barrick for president 2024. All right. <laughs> I think we just have to learn to appreciate the show for what it is and separate, you know, Tolkien's work a little bit, you know, and then think about it, study it, understand the differences. That's totally fine. But, you know, when we look at a painting and go, wow, look at that painting. I mean, I wish someone else would have painted it. It's like... <laughs> Okay, cool, cool, but there's the painting on the wall that we're all looking at right now, and and there it is. So, I think I think we have to just please chill a little bit with the crazy stuff online, and just find stuff you like about the show. You're gonna watch it. Why? That, why? That is the truth, isn't it? Though, find stuff you'll, like, you're, you're gonna people like. People are watching it anyway, or they couldn't. They wouldn't be around to make those complaints at all, right? They're not like, oh, episode, I'm out. I'm not. I'm, and then go away. Because they continue to watch and complain. You're, you're entitled to your opinion. That's a and lot your, of work. Your opinion is your opinion, and that's fine. But like, try not to ruin it for everyone else who's trying to have a nice time. Right. I mean, just just chill, just a little bit, please. And I'm not saying your opinion is wrong or whatever. But like, hey, we're all trying to have some fun here, and you're peeing in the swimming pool. Well, I'll even say, Paul, I I think that it's toxic on both sides. Like, I think there are. First of all, the good thing about anyone's opinion is that you don't need to have it justified by anyone on the internet. Like you don't need to go there and prove your point. You can just feel that way. But I found people on the who like the show who immediately start labeling people who don't like the show. And I'm yeah. I consider myself very much in the middle. But I've had people say, "Well, that's very racist of you." Oh, I'm God. like, I have no objection to the to that. That is zero my problem. So I think there's. Like people who are adamant that you must like this show and I'm going to explain why. And if you don't, you're a racist or you're a hater or the worst thing you can call someone these days is a Tolkien purist. As I mean, that's now I, a swear word I could word write an somehow. academic paper on why uh, a dwarf – there should be black dwarves and still give you – not like the show, right? Yes, right. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Yeah, I think you could not like the show. It's it's fine. It's fine. But do you have to be so no. filled with hate? No. Both sides need to be like, You're right. it You're does right. not matter. You're right. Both if sides. I don't okay. have to convince you that I'm right about my opinion. Like you just have your brain. I'm and- totally with you on that. I, I agree with you. If, if you're a, if you're a, a crusader for the show, yeah. you're doing a disservice to all of us too. Like there are flaws. It's not perfect. Sure. Stop yeah. it with the perfection. The show's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. Like, you know, on your wall on Facebook, go ahead. Okay. But don't come to groups and just fight with everybody and keep these like nine, you know, 90 comment threads going where everybody's just fighting. This is not productive use of our time, folks. Why don't you go read Tolkien instead? You know, (laughs) like if you don't like the show or if you love the show, that's all fine and good, but stop, stop the negativity from both sides. It's just too, it's too painful. I have a serious answer. It's not a joke. Um, Tolkien was trying to create a, uh, mythology for England. And the purpose of mythology is that there are tales that are told over and over and over again. And every time somebody tells them, they change. They put their own embellishments on it. What we are seeing now was Tolkien's dream. Tolkien, I don't know. He could be persnickety. He hated Disney. He might be upset with the show. But his stated dream is exactly what's happening now. Somebody has taken his story and is telling it in a new way with a new spin. They're telling their version of the myth, and that is exactly what his goal was. It is exactly what he set out to do. He has achieved it. Be happy for him. Great. That's great. And, and Paula, there's something you said I really liked. Like there, This is a particular piece of art that's hanging on the wall. Right. And and in medieval times and all times, many artists will paint the same thing. They will depict the same thing. And you don't have to hate Michelangelo's and like Raphael's. Right. right. They can both do their thing. Like it doesn't I mean, you can prefer one or whatever, but they both are pieces of art. Yeah. How many and, paintings are there of King Arthur? Right. Yeah. All look the different. How many books about King yeah. Arthur? Right. Like so many. So I, I think you both make excellent points. Um I think that's a good place for us to wrap up. Thank you for being here. Uh, For those of you who have not listened previously, this is Middle Earth Musings. We will continue to interview people in and around the Tolkien world, from artists to writers to uh, movie directors. We've uh, I've got a few good interviews in the can, and some other good ones lined up. Uh, We're fingers crossed for John Howe. Uh, Brian Sibley is on our radar. Like we have some good people coming up. So, and maybe these guys will come back too. I'd love to. All right. Any last words, gentlemen? Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, be well audience and don't be toxic.
Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.